0: turn to Zechariah. Zechariah, the last prophet in the Old Testament, right before Matthew. If you find Matthew and go backwards, you'll find Zechariah. This morning we'll be in Zechariah 7, verses 7 through 17. Zechariah 7, verses 7 through 17. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat. In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Ido, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red sorrel and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry, but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts. My cities shall again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We have all experienced times of hopelessness. Times where we have felt utterly alone. Some situations in our life, as they come up, have, leave, have left us so overwhelmed that we don't know if there will ever be a way out. It can be a terrible, lonely, helpless, and hopeless situation. Israel, at this point in their history, was probably feeling this very thing. Their situation seems hopeless. They are, yes, they've returned to Jerusalem, but they're still under Persian control. And Zechariah comes and he reminds, and he is to remind, I should say, Israel, that they are not alone. This is done through eight visions. Uh, You think of, Charles Dickens, a Christmas story, a Christmas carol, right? And in that story, the well known story, Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by three spirits, these three spirits that are to uh, teach him something. Well, Zechariah, and you may not appreciate this joke, but I came up with this week and I, and I, I appreciate it, so I'm going to say it. Uh, Zechariah is the Hanukkah of Christmas carols, in that he gets eight different visions. It's an educator. Thanks for the the pity laugh. (laughs) He gets eight visions in one night. Eight different things and it it consumes the first six chapters of Zechariah. And so we're going to consider these eight visions. Today we'll consider the first one. These visions uh, are prophecies in the form of a vision. They're actual revelation from God. Visions are not something uh, that we tend to consider that often. And so it's important that we, for a moment, just consider what is a vision. Uh, We know prophecy. Prophecy is uh, the prophet receiving the word of God and giving it to the people. But visions uh, are not uncommon. In fact, all the major prophets had, at some point, visions. We think of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of them uh, would have or did have visions. And so what was the form of the vision? The prophet would be confronted with an extraordinary vision. Sometimes this would come in uh, the form of a stationary object. You think of Jacob's ladder or you think of the, uh, the blanket that was down, put down before Peter. Saying you can eat anything that's on this. Uh, it would have been like that or it would have been some sort of uh, scene that would have unfolded. So you think of John in Revelations as he is seeing the scene unfold, or Daniel in his similar prophecy. So they would have seen something, and then after it was seen, interpretation was usually required. And an angel, an angelic guide, was usually the person who would do the interpretation. What do these things mean, would be asked, and then they would be told, at least in part. Visions, we'll find, are usually, not always, closely associated with uh, apocalyptic literature, the end time kind of things. They had striking and sometimes bizarre imagery, uh, and they would have an extreme dualism between good and evil. Uh, One of the common differences, I think, between prophecy and vision, this is not 100%, and one commentator pointed this out, and I thought it was interesting... God sent his prophetic word, uh, this commentator says, to afflict the comfortable. But God gives visions of hope to confront the afflicted. And visions often come with a comforting. And particularly here in Zechariah, the comfort will be redemption, that God is with his people. uh, Particularly that Christ's victory uh, will be for his people. So as we come to the end of this vision, well, we have to consider the content. What are the pieces of this vision? We have to understand what these pieces are even before we can understand what they mean. Uh, we know some specific things. Uh, he gives us the date, the 21st day, 24th day of the 11th month. And in the vision, we see four features. We see a man on a horse. Uh, Men on horse are often used in scripture, particularly the Old Testament, uh, to represent uh, the legions, the angelic legions of God. Uh, We see a myrtle tree. Isaiah uses a myrtle tree to represent salvation, restoration. We can look at Isaiah 53, or excuse me, 55, 13. Uh, It's also thought, I think with almost 100% certainty, that the myrtle uh, was used for the booths in the Feast feast of booths. If you know anything about the Feast of Booths, they would make these, or Feast of Tabernacles, they would make these booths, these kind of tent-looking things out of uh, different um, woods and such. And myrtle trees would have been used for that. So that's the second thing. Then we have the ravine. A ravine is ominous. It's dangerous. We think of the Valley of the Shadow of Death when you think of a ravine. And then behind the front-mounted horse, you have other horses. And these... Uh, represent God's messengers his um, envoy we'll see that more closely here Uh, so as we come to this this morning now that we kind of have this background set I want us to see three things now it it is amazing how the mind works I had three points uh, already planned and set uh, the report the plea the reply and I woke up this morning and I had three new points they just kind of I was half asleep half thinking and I kind of like these better The problem, the prayer, and the promise. So that'll be our three points today. The problem, the prayer, and the promise. It's very alliterative and very rememberable, I think. So let's begin by looking at the problem. Uh, As we come to this text, the first thing that we're confronted with is the men on horses. You have the man in the front on the uh, red horse. And then you have the sorrel, which is a red horse. Then you have the men on the back and the white on the white horses. It's important for us to remember in this time that there were basically two forms of mounted cavalry. You would have had the chariots. This is like your tanks. Heavy cavalry. We're going in to crush our foes. And then you would have had the single light cavalry. And largely what the light cavalry was used for was for getting information, for communicating information, but also for doing reconnaissance. Uh, And this is what we see here in our text today. These are reconnaissance horses. Uh, They were under God's control and they had gone out into all the earth behind enemy lines. And now they were coming to report back to the commander who is God. And we can stop right there and we can learn something very important about who God is we can learn something about his nature. Because the fact that his agents are everywhere shows several things. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And he is in control of everything. He knows what's going on on every corner of this earth. His agents are everywhere. And as we consider this, the omnipresence, the omnipotence of God, we see that this combines to show absolute sovereignty. Jonathan Edwards says this It is the will of God to manifest his sovereignty. And his sovereignty, like his other attributes, is manifested. In the exercise of it, he glorifies his power in the exercise of his power. He glorifies his mercy in the exercise of his mercy. So he glorifies his sovereignty in the exercise of his sovereignty. In these messengers, the ones who go out on the white horses, uh, we see the exercise of the omnipotence of of God, the sovereignty of God. And this really challenges us. This challenges the common view that this world holds of God. If they even consider God and say that there is a God, they'll say to us that he is only loosely concerned with the affairs of this world. We've heard this. He's the uh, deity clockmaker who made the clock, winded it up, set it down, and is letting it run its course. That's how the world, if they view God, that's often how they view him. But Zechariah tells us something different. He says, yes, kings may be powerful, but God is all powerful. Kings may think they're in control, but God has all control. Psalm 47, 8 says this, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. He knows what's going on. He knows what happens to his children. He is present everywhere and his presence is everywhere. And his angels are out there. Not that he needs his angels to know, but in his angels we see a representation of this knowledge. And it's important for us to consider, even just for a moment, just a word about angels. Angels manifest God's tender concern for the church. We don't pray to angels. We don't worship angels. In fact, the Bible forbids that we do this. But they do embody his loving care and heavenly might. They are out there working for God and so the report comes or should I say the problem there's a problem here and and we begin to see the problem by understanding when this took place this according to Zechariah took place in 520 BC two years after there was great tumult in Persia two years prior I guess we call it 522 BC The Persian Empire was all up in airs. And this for Jerusalem would have given them hope. Because if your ruling power is having internal strife, what does that give you hope? Well, maybe we can break the chains that bind us. We can rule ourselves. We can go back to the way things were. We can be free from their rule. But by 520, two years after Darius, as it says here came into power, the second year of Darius, we know that that upheaval has been squashed. Darius is firmly in control. And this is not good news for you if you're hoping to break the bonds of subjugation. And so we see here that the report of peace is a problem for Israel. Because the, the messengers come, they say there's peace in all the land. There's no upheaval, there's no turmoil that's going on. In essence, they're saying there's no hope for Jerusalem. They are under the thumb of foreign rule. There's no hope for them to be free. This is the first part. There's a problem. And the problem begins to be answered by the fact That God is indeed sovereign. Zechariah even began last week by three times over saying, return to the Lord of hosts. This is in Hebrew, Yahweh Sabaoth, Or you can also translate it, the Lord Almighty. Three times, return. Return to him and he will return to you. This is what they're calling them to. Remember the sovereignty of your God. And this is something that even for us, I think, is hard for us to deal with at times. The the issue of sovereignty can be both a curse and a blessing. And it's a curse because of this. Who does not want to be in control? We all want control. In fact, I think we tend to be control freaks. We want to be in control of every little thing. And when we're not in control, we tend to revolt against it. But on the other hand, we know the desperate times that we talked about, and it's, it, it can be comforting to know that someone is watching over us. There's many things in this life that we can wonder about. There's pain, there's suffering uh, all around us. The church is under attack both from within and from without, and we can wonder at these things. Yet Zechariah calls us to remember, you have a God who is in control, whose agents are everywhere. And he says, take comfort in this knowledge. Turn to him and trust in him. He's the one who will guide you. He's the one who will protect you. And we see this uncertain cry from the angel here. He comes before God and he pleads for the people and we see this in the form of a prayer the rider on the red horse he is troubled by the report that there is peace in the land the world is at peace and he cries out he cries out to God oh lord of hosts how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah. The angel sees a problem. And so what is his response to the problem? He comes in prayer, in supplication before God. And I think we have to note that it's not irreverent. This angel questions God. And God does not object to the question. It's not wrong for faith to cry out in times of uncertainty. God has invited you to unburden your cares before him. And so we learn that in our time of needs, through this prayer, we can come to God and we can cry out. But we also see here that the angel companions his prayer with the promises of God. He says, you have been angry these 70 years. The angel knew something. The angel knew that God had said 70 years would be the time limit. This was prophesied beforehand. He knows that this time is drawing to an end. And so just like Moses, he calls upon the promises of God. When God, uh, with Moses, wants to come and he wants to destroy the people, what does Moses do? He says, no, You have made covenant with them. You have promised to be their God. You cannot destroy these people. He calls upon the promises of God just as the angel does here. If we're going to pray with power, then we must know the promises of God. We must know the things he has told us that he will do. I think prayer is something that we all struggle with. And maybe this is due in part to the fact that we don't know how to pray. One of the reasons we spend, have spent this time in the Psalms, and we've, this is the second time we've gone through Psalms, is the Psalms are a great place that teaches us how to pray. How can we call upon our God? How can we cry out to him in our time of need? Prayer can become something that we only do at mealtimes or something that we only do when we desperately are in need. But we are to come we are called to come to God with all our concerns. And this in- includes our urgent pleas as we see here. There're going to be things in this life that we do not fully understand and we're to bring these to God. And these at times are allowed to be questions. How long Oh God, will you allow me to continue in this suffering? Like Job, we are to come and we are to cry out before our God. But we also know that he is in control. Even as God reminds Job, where were you, Job, when I created you? When I created the world, I am in control. I am sovereign over all things. We need to be a people who are marked by prayer. I believe that we are most spiritually empty when we are praying the least, when we are coming before God only sparingly. Far too often, by our actions, we treat prayer as useless. We believe in prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. But when it comes time to come in prayer, we fail to do it. We have to remember we have a Savior, Jesus, the Son of God. And he was constantly doing what? Coming to his Father in prayer. And as this angel, the one on the red horse, comes and prays to God, we see that he receives Response. In fact, it says, and the Lord, this is verse 13, and the Lord answered graciously and comforting words to the angel who was talking with Zechariah. We see in this answer that God is exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem. The Lord has both zeal with his people and anger. For the nations, those who were cruel in their conquest and their subjugation. So God's wrath now has risen against them, against the ungodly. People will often indulge in sin. And as they do so, they will mock Your own, Perhaps your piety. They will persecute you for living rightly. But we see a comforting reality here that sin will not win out in the end. We cannot seek peace and happiness apart from God. The sinful cannot find peace and happiness apart from God. John Calvin says it this way. Though men may think themselves happy and flatter themselves and exalt in their condition... They are yet in a most miserable state. For all happiness is ruinous, which does not flow from the fountain of God's gratuitous love. In short, when God is not our father, the more we abound in all kinds of blessings, the deeper we sink in all kinds of miseries. The more, if God is not our father, then the more, We abound in blessings the deeper we sink in misery. And basically that says, if you do not have God as your father, you may get earthly things and be blessed. But all it is doing is sinking you into misery. But those who have God's favor, they are blessed. Jerusalem here is going to be blessed by God. He says, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My city shall again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again confront or comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. God is saying nothing less than I am returning to my people. This is, in a way, Zechariah's ordination service to be a prophet of the Lord. And this is the message he is commanded to proclaim. This will shape his whole ministry. I am returning to my people. I will have mercy on my people. I will be with my people. The Hebrew word for this is Emmanuel, God with us. And of course, what do we associate Emmanuel with? Jesus Christ, he is Emmanuel, God with us. I think we cannot leave this vision without noting how this angel on a red horse is addressed. What is he called? He is called the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, this title that is given to Jesus throughout the Old Testament, Jacob, excuse me, wrestling with the angel of the Lord. With Jesus himself. Jesus, the ultimate mesher, messenger who reveals God to the people. No, he is the one commanding the host of heaven. Who do they report to? They report to the angel of the Lord on the red horse, the one interceding for his people. He is crying out in prayer to God. How long will you forget these people? And so God answers this angel, this angel of the Lord, with the promise of redemption. I, I don't want to make too big a deal of this, but I think, because I don't like to over-allegorize scripture. But isn't it interesting that this one angel of the Lord is on a different color horse than all the others who are on white horses. And what color is he on? A red horse. Isn't it interesting that he is on a red horse when it will be his red blood that will secure this redemption, that will secure God's presence. And so at the end of Matthew that we just finished, Matthew eight twenty eight, where he says, and surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, he has promised his presence to be with us. And so hope remains because Christ is interceding for us. His hands and his feet plead effectual prayers for his people. Can you say with absolute certainty that God is with you? That he is your Lord? That he is your helper? That he will never forsake you the reality is this that his blood is all the redemption that you need have you trusted in him have you believed in his word and his words and his works in your time of darkness he is your hope God with us. It is something that we are taught throughout the entirety of Scripture. God was with Adam in the garden. God was with his people through all their tri- trials. Fire by night and a cloud by day. His presence resting in the, in the glory cloud. He came ultimately and took on flesh as Jesus Christ. And he continues to to protect his people, no matter how great the trial, no matter how the rulers of this world treat us, he is always in control. He will be with us, even to the end of the age. Much like in Zechariah, even still today there is a problem. The world does not often like us, and oftentimes the world persecutes us. And like the angel, we are to come in prayer. How long? How long, Lord? How long will they be able to persecute your people? So we come in prayer. But even as we pray, we understand the promise. That God is with us. That he is coming again. That he has redeemed. And that he is redeeming his people. And that ultimately he will come again. And so even as we see the nations around us, and even as we see their wickedness and their persecution of the church, we cry out with certainty, the victory is won. It has been won in Jesus Christ, so we don't have to wonder if he'll come back. We wonder when he's coming back to secure his victory. When he will once again, or not once again, but when he will rid this earth of all sin and misery. When he will glorify his people. There is no guarantee that this will happen in our life. And there is no guarantee that we will ever have end from misery and from suffering. But we are guaranteed that in Christ Jesus, we have the victory. This is what Zechariah is to proclaim to Jerusalem. But this is still what he proclaims to us today. Do you know this hope? Do you know this God who has redeemed you completely? If you know him, trust in him. If you do not know him, know this hope. Turn to him. Trust in him. And as you turn and as you trust, bring your problems before him. In prayer and supplication, resting on his promises. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. Uh, Even this prophecy given to Zechariah several thousand years ago. Lord, would we rest in the hope of the knowledge of our Savior. That he has come. That he has made reconciliation for his people. And that we can now have hope in him. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.